and welcome back to the podcast. Today we're doing another experiment. For the first time I'm recording from a cafe. We're at Boycott in Condesa and there's music in the background <laughs> and a fan. And we'll see if our voices are going to be audible or not. Gracias. I'm here with Game, of course, and with my friend Bere. And we're going to talk about being queer in Mexico. Bere, welcome to the podcast. Okay. Thank you for having me, Crazy. Gracias. Gracias. We just got a muffin. <laughs> yeah, please introduce yourself, your pronouns, what you do, the dog that you would like to have. <laughs> Well, my name is Bere. My pronouns are they, she. I'm a non-binary, queer, aromantic person. I'm 25 years old. I'm a psychologist. Right now, I work giving English classes, and I work in an online school doing all of those school reading supplies things. I also do a lot of activism. It's what I do mostly right now for LGBT people in Mexico, mostly focusing on LGBT women and trans people. And I've been doing that for almost three years. I also write, mostly in Spanish. I do some things in English, but most of the things you're gonna find about me are in Spanish. So if you know Spanish, you can check me out and check out what I've written. Then the dog that I want. Right now I can't have a dog because I'm living in my parents' apartment and they won't let me. But I really do want a dog, maybe like a Gorgi, a small apartment-sized dog. Nice. So I can give it a nice life, a loving life in the city. And just like a companion and somebody to love and to love me back and cuddle with. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you about the apartment-sized dogs because <laughs> you remember Chai, who I brought last mm -hmm. time? She was going to be a foster dog and I was gonna find her a permanent home. Mm -hmm. And I decided to keep her. She's definitely not small. And I was like, my next dog is gonna be a chihuahua. <laughs> So yeah. yeah, we'll see if yours is actually going to turn out small dog. Yeah, I've heard that I'm going to foster a dog and then keeping it story a lot of time. Yeah, if it's really important to you that the dog be small, foster a small dog. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm really curious about your activism. Tell me more what you do in this field. So I work, I volunteer in an association called Musas de Metal, Grupo de Mujeres Gay. And the translation would be roughly Metal Muses, Group for Gay Women. First of all, I think that's a really cool name. I know. And yeah, I arrived at this association about three years ago. I was doing some professional practices for my degree in psychology and then I just enjoyed it so much I stayed. We do a lot of work with groups for LGBT women, for family of trans people, specifically trans youth mostly, and with trans people. Those are like our three main groups. And we have Zoom meetings every week, about three Zoom meetings a week. We also do live events once a month for different groups. We also sometimes talk to politicians, talk to lawmakers, participate in different events try to educate the people, the population, and yeah, just give them the support they need, give them all the things they need, the resources they need in order to go through the transition or to have a life with their partner, with their girlfriend, with their wives. 
and to be able to access these rights that sometimes are defended in Mexican law but not in practice and sometimes they aren't even in law. So we need to fight for those rights and we need to help them fight for those rights. Yeah, actually this brings me to an interesting point. I said I was not going to talk about this but now I will because <laughs> I did find it really interesting. The other day I was talking to a friend about some queer friendly country index. Mexico was number 19 on that index, number one was Iceland and number two Canada and the US number six and there were three factors going into the ranking and it was legal status, equality and public opinion. I think the difference between legal status and equality is whether it's in the law, mm -hmm. that's the legal status and whether it's actually happening, which is the equality. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned there is a lot of fighting left to do, even for rights that are legally protected. Yes. For example, I've got a friend, she's a trans woman who I admire a lot because she's doing the legal change of her name and gender in every single document that you can do it just to figure out how to do it and to make a document for other trans people that want to change it. She's had so much trouble in so many parts, even though legally the name and gender change is protected. Yeah. But there are so many people, so many institutions that have told her, no, you can't do it. No, this isn't a thing. Or have her wait for like a year to tell her that she had the wrong document or something a like year. that. A year? Yeah. Like to change her degree, I think it was over a year that she had to fight with the university, a public university, to have her change her degree. And this was in Mexico City? It was in Mexico City, yeah. Because we were just talking about how Mexico City is a bubble of queer rights, yeah. while the rest of Mexico isn't really. Yeah, exactly. So if it's this difficult sometimes in Mexico City, like I had trouble changing my gender in my ID because the woman I was speaking to insisted that I couldn't change my gender if I hadn't changed my birth certificate first, even oh. though in the law, in the title of the law, in the name of the law, it stated with no change in birth certificate. Yeah. So I had to fight with her for a while in order to get the change done. Yeah. That's in Mexico City where there's usually more knowledge about this. Yeah. And there are more avenues to have your rights defended. Yeah. And outside of Mexico City, it's a different story. There's still a lot of activism and there's even some states in Mexico that have more protected rights than in Mexico City. I don't remember in which state exactly, but there's a state where you can do the legal name change at any age. Here in Mexico City, it's yeah. 12 and above. Yeah. But in this other state, which I blanked out on, yeah. it's at, at any age. We gotta look it up later. We yeah. gotta look it up, yeah. The thing is, a lot of the activism, a lot of the legislations, a lot of the worldview is based on Mexico City and what Mexico City does. Yeah. So a lot of the time, all the other states get sidelined and it's a very, very different story being queer in Mexico City than it is in the state of Mexico, than it is in Baja California, than it is at the border. It's worlds of difference. Yeah, I feel like I have even experienced that just traveling around a little bit. And Mexico City, when I first got here, I was like, whoa, it's so colorful, it's so queer. And then I walked past like a, this pet supply store and they had a rainbow flag outside. And I was like, I gotta go in there and buy something just because. And I have not seen that anywhere else in Mexico. It really is different. I think that also... Classic Mexico City noise. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is that the knife sharpener? Yes, that's the knife sharpener. Yeah, the whistling. Every profession in Mexico City that is ambient. You say ambient? Ambient, yeah. Like it, that is like, I mean, uh, ambulantes, los vendedores oh. ambulantes. The 
don't know, traveling, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like the people who travel and offer their services, they usually have a particular sound mm -hmm. associated. So you know they're nearby and if you need gas, for example, or your knife sharpened, you hear that sound and you run down to the street and get it done. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, where were we? We were talking about different states. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm curious if you experience that or if you see that in your work. I feel like even in Mexico City, there's this shadow world and then there's the glamorous world in Condesa, in Roma, where drag queens are throwing parties and everyone is like very white again. And <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, I see it a lot in especially the type of trans people that the media love to show. It's usually, well, sometimes they are very smart, very, very involved in activism, trans people like Ophelia Pastrana. But at the same time, it's still people that have a certain level of money and they are of whiter skin or they look a little bit more white than others. And there are a lot of trans people that don't receive the same media attention or that are just denied by the police, by the media, by the legislators. And it does happen a lot. You see also in a lot of these spaces that say that are activist spaces, but are actually just wanting a certain type of trans person. For example, they charge a lot to enter certain events or something like that. And it's obviously going to leave out a lot of the trans population that are not in that level of money, that don't have that time or money. A lot of them even unemployed, that yeah. can't access these events, that can't access these places. Yeah, I was actually thinking that because I went to this event that's like a queer gay time brunch mm. thing. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's always at a different place, usually in Condesa. Mm -hmm. And it's always at a pet friendly place. So I like going there because I can socialize oh. my dogs. <laughs> I'm not a party person. I like events that happen during the day. Mm -hmm. But like the tickets are a few hundred like I think 300 pesos or something like that mm -hmm. even to just get in and then it is always at a place where if you want to eat or drink something it's also going to be ridiculously expensive because it's these neighborhoods where everything is expensive while that is all nice and good there must be many people who have no access to this who can't even think about going to a place like that of course like the first barrier of entry is you gotta move to Condesa and a lot of people live hours away the traffic in Mexico City is terrible and the public transport hasn't been given maintenance in a long time so it yeah. usually takes a long time to travel from one edge to the city to the other and those who live in the state of Mexico even more times I have friends that usually take about two hours to get to this area yeah so after you have two hours to spare to travel here and then you have to spend 300 to enter plus I don't know the drink is a hundred each plus another 154 a meal. That adds up really quickly and you end up spending a lot of money. Yeah. Like during Friday, I spent so much money in June that I shouldn't have spent because of all of these events. And that's already a value of entry. I mean, like I did too. <laughs> I'm not even into spending money. <laughs> I just can't help it. <laughs> But yeah. Thinking about that sometimes makes me aware of, yeah, like I am a privileged person. All these spaces are open to me. Of course. And there are other people who don't even, they don't have a home, they don't have any money, they have no access to the community. Mm -hmm. And the community kind of guards the resources, for example, for trans people. And if you don't have access to that community, you can't access those resources either. Yeah, exactly. So what we try to do in the association is that most services are free. The only ones that we charge are therapy. 
because mm -hmm. the therapists need to get paid for their services. And we do charge cooperation for once a month our events, but that's like a voluntary cooperation. If you don't have that money, you can tell us, I just want to pay 25 pesos this, this month. Nice. Okay, yeah. we accept your 25 pesos. Thank you for helping us. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. There are different kinds of events you organize for different yes. groups. Tell us more about those. Yes, so we got our virtual events that, that started during the pandemic. Yeah. A little before I joined. So when I joined, it, they were all like already set up and running and really cool. So we got our Tuesday Zoom meetings for LGBTQ women. Also, non-binary and trans people can enter, but it's mostly centered around LGBTQ women because we talk about things about sexuality, about dating, about exes, all of that good women-loving women drama. Oh, yes. We talk about all of it. The L word, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> On Wednesdays, we have a group for family and friends of trans people that want to get to know more about what it's like being trans, how to transition. We mostly get moms. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we get grandmothers, aunts, we get a couple of partners or boyfriends, girlfriends, and sometimes we get dads and granddads. That's a little more unusual. Why do you think that is? I think it's because socially we tend to give a lot of the emotional labor ah. to women. Yeah. So moms feel more of an obligation to try to understand their kids and to, to deal with all the emotional baggage that comes with not only being a teenager, yeah. but being a trans teenager. Yeah. And the dads kind of get to disengage without society pressuring them to engage. Yeah. So yeah, we have that on Wednesdays. On Thursdays, we got our trans group for trans people 18 over. And we talk about everything. We've talked about our favorite movies. We've talked about family drama. We've talked about transitions. It's just a place to look for friends, to talk about what's on our head, to have a good time, and to recharge for the week. Yeah. And we have two events that are monthly. One of them is our workshops that we hold every month for the LGBTQ women. And also a lot of trans people show up. We do very, very different things. This month we created a fan scene, like a magazine made out of cutouts and poems and writing and all of that. Mm -hmm. Oh, is that what you posted on Instagram, the, yes. the colores? Yes, that. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I opened the page <laughs> and it's one of my 300, it's probably still one of my 300 tabs here <laughs> <laughs> that are open that I want to get to. <laughs> yeah, it, it's exactly that. So we talk about a lot of things. We also had a talk from a feminist archeologist Mm -hmm. that talked a lot about where the gender come from and how we conceive oh, this yes. man-woman type gender cool. and how it affects how we view the past. And yeah, we have a lot of different topics. We talk, we eat, we gossip, we do everything. And once a month, we also have our picnic for trans families. Trans people, teens, kids come and we do different activities with them. And the cis people, the parents, the friends, the boyfriends, girlfriends, they go on to the other side of the bar <laughs> and they do their own activities well, to learn and process all the parts of our transition. Yeah. And after we're done, we just all come together and yeah. talk and eat and share everything. It's really, really fun. That sounds cool and also interesting that the cis partners <laughs> just... <laughs> cis over there. <laughs> Are you kicking them out or do they voluntarily just leave? No, it's just that we have different activities and the trans activities usually focus on things that trans people experience. 
sometimes cis people do come and join us like when a trans teen brings their boyfriend or their sister or something like that and they join us but they don't usually have much to contribute because it's about the trans experience yeah yeah and these are mostly young people so that's teenagers yeah we got mostly teenagers the youngest person we've got she's about eight or nine years old she's a little trans girl that's amazing yeah yeah and mostly it's about 13 to 19 years old. We also have a bunch of trans adults that love coming to the picnic because it's a time to talk to other trans people and just have a good time. And we love having this intergenerational dialogue Yeah. for the trans adults to get to know these trans kids and just see what the present is like for them and for the trans kids to see these trans adults and see that there's a life, a fun life, a happy life that they can have when they grow up. Yeah. Oh, I love this. I imagine even if you're or especially if you're an older trans adult and you see the change that is happening. Mm -hmm. For example, the trans girl that came out mm -hmm. at eight years old. Mm -hmm. An older person probably has not had that opportunity. That must be so hope-inspiring for them. It definitely is a shift of perspective to see yeah. how far along we have come because some of the older trans people do have these intense stories about their coming out and about how they got in contact with other trans people before even the internet was popular. Yeah. And now seeing how easy it is to get resources for some of these kids, it's a shocking, it's amazing. Yeah, earlier this month, a few friends and I went to, there was a drag story hour at a park in Naples. Mm -hmm. And there was a bunch of kids running around and I was like, this is so cool. It's so cool that parents take their kids there. And also the story they read was amazing. I forgot the title of the book, but it was The Color of Your Shadow. Mm, you know, I, I know that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a really good book. It's like, it was so cute. It was very cute. And I love that there are so many events that involve children because trans youth exist and they also need this place to just be themselves. And a lot of the time that's what the picnics are for, for these teenagers and kids. Just a place to hang out with friends and wear whatever clothes they want and be respected and just have a break from everything that's going on in their lives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You mentioned also earlier that you work with children. Is there a group for even younger kids? We don't have a group for younger kids. We usually deal with around the teenager or pre-teenager age. There is a world of difference between a 19-year-old and a 12-year-old. I mean, yes. Yeah. yeah so, no comparison. So every kid does have their own necessities and we try to help them talk about it in an appropriate way and in a way that they can express their own life. Yeah. And I really love working with teenagers. It's weird because a lot of people don't like working with teenagers because they are teenagers. Exactly what I was thinking. They're teenagers. <laughs> but I really do like working with teenagers. I don't know. They do have a really interesting worldview and they have such interesting personalities. Obviously, I deal with the whole classic teenage attitude of not wanting to participate and I have to yell a lot at those picnics <laughs> to get them to listen. But, but they come. But they come and they, they talk. Up. Yeah. And a lot of the times, I love seeing when they get comfortable and start sharing some of the more intimate things or when they come up with their own ideas, with their own way of talking about their life and mostly seeing them open up. That's really, really beautiful. Yeah. Nice. It's really cool that these resources, places, and safe spaces exist. Mm -hmm. Where I grew up, that was not a thing. It's a very small rural town. <laughs> I suspect. Like, do you know how long these kinds of events have been run? 
Ooh. before you joined? Or is that a fairly recent thing? The association has been running for 28 years, so wait, wow. I was born. <laughs> but yeah, at first it was only for LGBTQ women, mostly lesbians and women who are attracted to other women. I've been told that at no point were you forced to identify in some way to be able to join the activities because there were groups that did force you to identify like as a lesbian mm -hmm. or as a certain flag for you to join their activities. Yeah. It's always been very open, and the first meetings they had were where they could have them, like on the street, in a coffee shop, in someone's Aww. house, wherever they could. Yeah. And after a while, they started having more consistent meetings in a bookstore slash coffee shop that is oh. over around Reforma. What is it called? It's called Somos Voces, and okay. coincidentally, it's the biggest LGBT bookshop in Latin America. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll have to check it out, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool, and that's where we hold a lot of our workshops too right now. Mm -hmm. It's a really cool space, and the Zoom meetings have been happening basically since the pandemic, and the picnics, I believe it's also around two, three years that they've been happening. Oh, yeah, so some of those things are fairly recent. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. The law that allows you to change your gender marker is also... When was that? That's not a long time ago. No. I feel like I've read about it, actually. I think in Mexico City... When it did happen in Mexico City. It was a thing around 2021, 2020. Yeah. It wasn't too long ago. Yeah. And yeah, right now in Mexico City, it's... 12 and over. What do you mean when you say 12 and over is when you're 12 or older, you're allowed to say, I want to change my gender marker. Exactly. Yeah. I want to change my gender, I want to change my name. And that was a whole legal battle, I remember, because the law was frozen in Congress for about a year. Mm -hmm. And then it got discarded. And then the activists fought for it to be looked over again. And it finally passed. Yeah. That's still not a national thing. Every state has their own law about it. Yeah. But it's really good that it's happening in Mexico City and hopefully someday, everywhere, yeah. no matter your age, you'll be able to change your documents. Yeah, I hope so too. Which actually is a good transition in something else we wanted to touch on, the political world. Mm. <laughs> Especially certain people <laughs> giving hate speeches against queer folks. Yeah, we've had some of our politicians fall into this bandwagon of trans people destroying the family and destroying what it's like to be a woman and erasing women, this famous line that a lot of conservatives like to use. It's pretty sad because this is, these are people that have power and have platform yeah. saying all of these things and when you listen to them you see that they don't understand what they're saying, they don't actually know what they're saying. Yeah, it's like why? Yeah, there's been like a lot of responses about that. I know that they tried to introduce laws to restrain some of the trans rights that are going forward that haven't been passed, thankfully. There are still a lot of resistance in law, but there's also sometimes a disconnection with what the LGBTQ people want and how we are going to pass those laws and what type of laws are needed. And that's where we come in a lot of the time because some politicians, not all, but some do reach out to the NGOs and to the activists to figure out what exactly is it that we need. Yeah. It's also kind of curious that it's certain activists and not all of them, like the activists from the central part of Mexico City or activists with lighter skin or activists that belong to an association, something with a name. Yeah. So a lot of the times smaller voices or voices that are not the mainstream voices get left out of this conversation. Whose voices are the voices that get left out the most? Well, people who, as we were saying, don't have these resources. For example, people who live in the borders of the city, people who are black or indigenous or have other intersectionalities, intersex trans people, 
and yeah, all these intersectionalities, all these things that don't allow them to maybe work in an NGO or maybe they don't want to join an NGO because they don't agree with that way of working, which is totally valid. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, people who don't agree with working in that system or people who don't have the resources to enter that system, those are the voices that are left out and those are the voices that are most affected by all of these changes in the yeah, law. Yeah. Do you see a way forward from this? How can we make Mexico more inclusive? I do think that there is a way forward. I think that we need to evaluate the type of voices that we're listening to, the type of voices that we are giving the microphone to, and see if they are representative yeah. of what's going on in Mexico City. I think that it's good to have these national surveys and these investigations that were not being conducted before. I also think it's important to decentralize all of these events and all of these things that are happening. So, yeah. for example, a lot of the events were happening right here in the center of Mexico City. There are people that can't be in the center of Mexico City. So moving the events or moving the talks, the roundtables, going to those places of people who don't have the time to transport two hours to the center of Mexico City or don't have the money to transport yeah. and listening to them and actually understanding what are the problematics of Mexico City. Yeah, that sounds like an excellent place to start. Something else that is written in the law but maybe not happening in real life is that in theory, according to the law, you can't discriminate who you give work to based on race or sexuality, gender. But is that actually what is happening? I know you yourself have been looking for paid work for a while now. Well, the thing is that even though in law you can't say, I'm not gonna hire you because you're trans, in practice, nobody's gonna tell you that, but they are still going to do it. Yeah. Even if they don't realize they're doing it, sometimes it's that unconscious bias. Yeah. A lot of my friends, my trans friends, are also looking for jobs and they have a hard time because they get denied jobs after they come out or they come out during the interviewing process for one reason or another. And all of a sudden, they're not a fit for the job anymore. Yeah. Like, okay, one time is a coincidence. Maybe they weren't fit for the job, but when it happens over and over and over and it's a pattern, yeah. then you start to realize that there is discrimination in the hiring process. And also for a lot of people who change their names or who change their legal genders, there is this whole part of their work history that they don't have access to unless they come out in their job. So if you went by a different name beforehand and you're going by a new name now and that's the name that the people who are interviewing you know, and they go for reference to your old job, nobody's gonna know you. Yeah. So all of that work experience is erased. So imagine you're 40, 50 years old. It's already hard to be looking yeah. for a job over your 30s because yeah. this culture loves young people. But yeah. if you're over 30, 40, 50, and you virtually have no work experience because you have no way of proving that work experience. Even though you have it. Exactly. Yeah. That complicates it a whole lot more. Yeah. Do you see a way forward there? That seems like an even harder problem to solve yeah. because of the implicit bias. Because people may not even be aware of the fact that they're discriminating. I feel like there has to be a normalization for trans people joining the workforce. Not only in operative jobs, like not only in the customer service or the greeter at Walmart or call center, but in different levels of jobs. Because usually when you go to trans job fairs or you see we're hiring trans people, it's at this low paying entry level type of jobs. Yeah. When there are people with so much experience, so much knowledge. Or like a PhD. Exactly. Yeah. And the only things that are the quote unquote inclusive 
jobs are the entry-level jobs that don't pay you enough to pay rent. Yeah. So I think it's also for the companies to have these inclusive policies to understand what the process of hiring a trans person will actually be like, to understand their implicit bias, have trainees, have talks about it. And also I do believe in affirmative action of having a certain number of trans employees so that trans culture gets a little more normalized within yeah. the workplace. Yeah. So it must be change imposed from above. Exactly. Yeah. But if we have no trans people above, if we have no openings for trans people above, it's yeah. even harder for that change to happen. There yeah. needs to be trans people in positions of power in order for these to be implemented. Yeah. Well, I hope you're going to be a trans person in the position of power. I really okay. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a really, that's actually a very sad note to end on. So let's end on something else. I think we've hit all our talking points. Tell me something positive. Well, something beautiful that has come of all of this is that we've created a community. And a lot of people have said there's a before they've come to the association and there's an after because we've created a lot of long-term friendships. And it's beautiful to see people who maybe didn't look like they have the best self-esteem come in the first time. And then, for example, we've had people that they've been in their own for four or five months and then they get a partner they get a girlfriend uh, who is also a member of the group who is also a member of the group yeah <laughs> it's really beautiful because they gain self-confidence and we are all helping each other and we have this found family yeah and it's a very real love that we have for each other yeah okay that is a good note <laughs> I love it what if one of our listeners would like to reach out to you where can they find you on the interwebs you can reach me at R. Morgan Escribe, R. Morgan Escribe, that's my Instagram and my TikTok. And you can reach the association at Musas de Metal in Facebook or Musas de Metal underscore LGBTQ. We had another account before, but we got locked out of that account, so oh. we created a new one. So if you see two accounts, it's the one with the longer name. Oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> I'll make sure to put those in the show notes. Awesome. So yeah, you can reach us that way. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking to me. Yeah, and I hope that some of our conversation is actually audible. I'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out later. <laughs> when I get home and try to edit it. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Bye. Bye.